And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Welcome. I am Tom Laurie, and I will be your host today. Thank you for joining us. The smartphone has become an important part of our lives. It has become indispensable for communications, personal interaction. It's a 24-7 source for real-time information. For many, it's a source of entertainment, and it's an ever-ready tool for capturing live events with pictures, video, and audio. In short, it has changed the world we live in, and more importantly, how we relate to the world. Today, to talk about this seismic change and the role he had in shaping it and his personal journey and insights, we have as our guest mentor, Dan Hesse. Dan was president and CEO of Sprint from December 2007 to August 2014 after a 30-year telecom career, which included serving also as CEO of Embark, Terabeam, and AT&T Wireless. During his tenure, J.D. Power recognized Sprint 20 times for excellence in customer service. Laptop Magazine recognized Dan as the most influential person in mobile technology ahead of Steve Jobs. Welcome, Dan. Thank you, Tom. Good to be here. Thanks for taking the time to join us and be our guest mentor today. Let's put some things into context, and let's start with the turnaround you achieved at Sprint. Uh, which gained a great deal of attention and certainly earned you. You had a great reputation before that, but you certainly gained even a a greater reputation as a result of the work you did at Sprint. Uh, I'm curious, first of all, why did some people or do some people call you the Forrest Gump of telecom? Well, uh, I don't know if uh, they mean it as uh, as something positive or uh, or, or not, or a compliment or not. You know, if it's a compliment, if it's a... um, you know, it has to do with my uh, my IQ or just where I happened to be at the time. But I was fortunate enough, uh, you mentioned uh, in the intro, uh, my 30 years in telecom before Sprint. I was fortunate enough to start at AT&T at a very interesting time in the, in the late 70s, you know, back when AT&T had, had Bell Laboratories. And I remember my second job with the company, I was assigned three really smart guys from Bell Labs to work with me in this treasure trove of patents and intellectual property. And my job was to figure out how to bring, if you will, this inbound calling capability um, to market in a, in a greater way. So I was there really at the creation of what we now know as, uh, as 800 service. At the time, we just had this inbound free calling service for trucking companies so that if you remember back then, there were pay phones at the corner of almost every intersection in town and on the intersection of highways, and, the, and truck drivers would have to go to these pay phones to tell the dispatcher, hey, I've just made a delivery, this is where I am. Because, you know, there was no GPS, uh, and, of course, you needed the, the driver. It was a real pain because they needed exact change to stick into the phone booth so they could call dispatch. So we created these toll-free numbers, but felt there was a huge marketing opportunity to make a long story short with the guys in Bell Labs. We figured we could create these 800 numbers with a company name like 800 Hilton and 800 Car Rent and what have you. And we created the concept of telemarketing, and within five years, calls to 800 numbers were half the half the traffic on you know during the business day uh, on the AT&T long distance network. What's interesting is years later. Um, they asked me, I was in Europe running our equipment division, what was at the time called Network Systems, uh, later became uh, known as uh, as Lucent, and asked if I would start, um, take a look at and start a new division about this. A lot of people think it's just a trend, it's not going to be here, but some people think it's the next big thing, and should we be in this business? And it was this thing called the Internet. So I launched the Internet Division, and what was interesting about the Internet Division, um, so I got to be present at the creation, if you will, of that, and I had been 
actually a number of other products during my career, we could tell that it meant if we were really successful and created these Internet IDs called URLs, these addresses, if you will, would replace the 800 number as the front door, as the marketing front door to America's businesses, which would mean we would be destroying the business we had created and the one we pretty much owned with 800 numbers. So I got to be kind of Forrest Gump there at the start of the Internet. Right after that, um, they asked me, we went and bought a company called Macaw Cellular, which at the time was the largest mobile, you know, back to these are the days of 1G, analog cell phones. If I would go and run that after we bought it, so I got to be in the early days, if you will, of, of, of mobile. And so when we looked at, when I got there back then, you know, it was all really pretty much for local calls, cell, cell phones. It was very expensive to make a long-distance call. It was very expensive to travel. So, you know, if you roamed, if you lived in Seattle and you traveled to New York, you know, you would be travel. You would pay a different rate for a local call in New York, a different rate for a long-distance call in New York. It was extremely complicated. So we developed this thing called Digital One Rate, which now people pretty much take for granted, and that is a call is a call, whether you're making a local call in your hometown a long-distance call in your hometown, a local call from another city you're traveling to, a long-distance call where you're traveling, didn't matter who you were calling. That was all a brand-new concept. And that destroyed another business that we had, which was the calling card business, which was also extremely profitable. If you remember back then, you'd go to an airport, you'd get off the plane, and there'd be a, a line of cell phone, I mean, of pay phones, as long as the eye can see with a line button behind each and every one waiting to make a calling card call on a pay phone. Or people would go to the hotel rooms and use their calling card to make, make phone calls. AT&T owned that business. But we knew this digital one rate, people would much rather have their own phone. That if we made rates reasonable when you traveled, that would probably kill the calling card business, which it did. But it was also the opportunity to be, if you will, um, president the creation of a new business, but one of the things we learned at AT&T was the importance of creative destruction, being willing to destroy a business you've created, what at one time was a brand new business or a brand new technology, because um, if you don't, somebody else will. Well, we're going to come back to Sprint in a second, but since you got started on AT&T, what was it that attracted you to AT&T when you came out of college? And I believe you were in a master's program. So what, when the recruiter, whoever it was, however you found the job, tell us a little bit about what you looked at and why you made that decision. Well, the, the first part was uh, was probably a little bit luck in that I interned at AT&T during my first, during my two years of graduate business school. And the, and the way I found the job uh, at AT&T, the way I got initially hired with them, they had a fantastic summer management leadership development program. It was probably the best internship for MBA students in the country at the time. Um, and I was uh, going to uh, graduate school at Cornell. My sister lived in Boston, so I asked her to go over to the recruiting office at the Harvard Business School and just look around and start <laughs> taking um, taking flyers and leaflets and what have you, whatever she could find lying around there, and send it to me. So I got this um, this information and application for the AT&T program. So I send it in, and the recruiter at AT&T sees this resume come in from this guy at Cornell, and he was um, really interested because they only inter they only recruited at Harvard and Wharton at the time. So he calls me up and asks me. How did you know? How did I get this? How did I apply and learn about this particular program? And I told him how I asked my sister to go over to the Harvard Business School. He goes, "That shows initiative. Um, there's going to be a plane ticket waiting for you tomorrow morning at the airport. I'd like you to fly down and meet me and meet some other people. We'd like to interview you." And I came down, got the job, and so that's how my career kind of started at AT and T was as a summer intern. But what I learned that summer and why I well, wanted we're gonna to work at AT and T. We're going to cut. We're going to come back to that after the break, and we're going to continue okay. with Dan Hesse's journey to becoming the most influential person in mobile technology after the break. Hi, I'm the executive producer of the Mentors Radio Show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I want to tell you about something special. 
If you're an entrepreneur like me, you need steady energy and focus. Here's my secret. I rely on science-backed, high-quality, bulletproof collagen protein and other bulletproof products. My sister told me about it. At feelgreat.vip, you can learn the health journey of Bulletproof founder Dave Asprey. Find out what sets these products apart from the rest. Nothing can replace the advice of your medical doctor, but good nutrition can absolutely enhance your mood, energy, and focus like it did for me. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than 1 million fans, 1 million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. Feelgreat.vip to learn more. Are you a small to mid-sized business looking for a tax, accounting, or CFO-level advisor to handle or guide your company's financial decisions? Consider KMLPC. KMLPC excels in creating easy-to-use, customized financial systems for small to mid-sized entrepreneurs and companies, especially nonprofits. KMLPC supports and protects their clients' vital interests, offering a wide range of accounting and bookkeeping services in addition to CFO guidance. They prioritize digital integration and their exceptional staff will make your life and even taxes so much easier. Their client list is a who's who of nonprofits and entrepreneurs, clients who've stayed with them for years and won't go anywhere else. So if you need financial or tax help for your business or nonprofit, contact KMLPC today at KML-PC.com. That's KML-PC.com. KML-PC.com and mention The Mentor. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and today we are talking to Dan Hesse, who as CEO of Sprint, led them from the edge of bankruptcy to being ranked number one in shareholder return for the Standard & Poor's 500. Dan, you were talking about your first job and the internship and how you uh, did something very unique in terms of uh, getting the attention of the people at AT AT&T. One of the questions I have is, uh, it doesn't appear that there is many intern programs today for young people as there used to be. And what should a young person do coming out of school with the lack of the type of training that uh, was available to you? Well, it's true, and it's uh, it's one of the things that uh, that I hope begins to change or improve uh, in American business that is beginning to take a longer-term outlook and invest in, in people and employees because there aren't the programs that there used to be. But I'd say number one is to seek out mentors and good mentors. When I look at the development program that I went through at AT&T, what I learned from the most and what, what AT&T did as part of it Yes, they would move you around to different parts of the company so that you would learn the entire business. And that is very important, but you can work with a good mentor to help that happen for you. But what what, what I gained the most from was AT&T would select the best leaders to be, we'll call it the boss of these interns. So your boss and your boss's boss were, if you will, curated and chosen for you because that's who you would learn from. And they became your mentors and coaches. And you know, Yogi Berra has a saying that um, you know you can observe a lot by watching. And I mean, it's so true. You know, the way I really I think learned leadership the best was not by reading leadership books, but by emulating and watching people who led well. And as part of a team, as a member of the team, you really learned how that was done. So my, my number one piece of advice would be, well, first of all, pick a job you love. Pick some, you know, don't go for the money. It's easy to say, but you eventually will make the most money at being good at something. Pick something you love because you'll work harder at it. You'll be better at it. You'll actually enjoy working hard at it. Um, but second, I think very important, seek out a mentor or mentors. Choose them, and if you see a good leader, observe and watch and learn from them. And what would you, how would you characterize a good leader? What, what would be those attributes that you would look for? Well, um, 
you know, what the thing about leadership uh, in, uh, you know, there's a saying that, you know, leadership's like pornography. It's hard to describe, but you know it when you see it. There are so many different kinds of leaders, uh, and, you know, some are, are outgoing and gregarious. Some are, are quiet and reserved. Um, but, you know, there are a few things that I think um, almost the leaders that I saw who were outstanding were all had. Number one, they were really cool under pressure. They were a rock of Gibraltar, if you will. They had this calm confidence that when times were tough, they didn't lose their cool. They kept the team focused on what needed to be done. Number two, they were very good communicators. Um, and they communicated well and they communicated often. Number three, they cared for you and they cared for people and you knew it. And you would, and because they cared for you, you cared for them and you'd walk through any, you know, any, any wall for them. And, uh, and, and I could keep going, but I'd say the last thing about what, for me personally, the leaders that impressed me the most really knew the business. Um, they had, they studied it. They were constantly learning. They, during their careers, they had worked hard to know lots of different facets of the business so they could move and be very decisive, but decisive in a good way. You know, you can be decisive and not know the business, and that's dangerous. But if you're decisive and you know the business, you have that gut feel. You're willing to use your gut uh, because you know the business so well. I've wa- I watched that in action. Uh, and uh, it's something I always wanted to have, so I always really worked at not only choosing the jobs that would give me the experience to know the business um, well, but then having the confidence to use that gut and be decisive, because in, especially in technology, which is the business that I, you know, kind of the technology businesses that I came through, time is so valuable. You don't have time to go study it to death. You need to make a decision and move on. And, um, you know, if you, if you really know, you know, your customers, you really know your business, uh, you, can, you can make those decisions and, and make them confidently. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. Today we have Dan Hesse, the former CEO of Sprint, as our guest mentor. Dan, let's skip forward from AT&T to, and to when you, you joined Sprint. Uh, what, how, how did you, did they, did a recruiter, did a recruiter contact you or how did you end up at Sprint? Yes, a a recruiter did, uh, did contact me when they were doing a search for the CEO, um, with the board Uh, and the board of directors of Sprint knew me because they had recruited me. I was the CEO of a company called Embark, which is a public company, but had been a spin out of Sprint when they merged with Nextel. So, the, the board of directors uh, knew me and uh, and had been recruiting me for some time uh, when I finally decided to come over and take the sprint job and leave Embark. And what was it that attracted you to taking on this role? And uh, it was a pretty difficult situation. And we'll come back to that after the next break. But what, what attracted you to the job? Well, um, as I, as I mentioned, it took a while for me to come around to it. And, uh, and fundamentally, uh, it was a, I knew a lot of people at Sprint, and um, I felt as though I knew that that business well enough, the mobile business well enough to um, to potentially uh, turn the, the company around. I was also committed to Kansas City. I was living in the same city at, the, at that time. And actually, my wife, she was the one that convinced me to, to take the job because it was the right thing for, for Kansas City. That she said, you will never forgive yourself if uh, if Sprint, you know, gets into a difficult time or goes under, and you know you could have saved it. And you were coming into a very uh, difficult situation. How were you initially received by the employees and the other executives that were there at the time? Well, um, uh, I think I can, you never waste a good crisis, uh, and they knew they were in crisis, uh, and so. I think they were accepting of of new leadership, and it was also easy for me to come into that situation because Sprint was a merger of equals, which was part of the problem that that uh, that they were dealing with. Nextel had been, done a very good job, if not too good a job, of negotiating the deal with Sprint 
because they had gotten basically equal standing so that the management team was and the leadership was 50-50 Nextel and Sprint. The board was 50-50 Nextel and Sprint. They had two headquarters, the former Nextel headquarters, the Sprint headquarters. They took the Sprint name. They took the Nextel colors. And um, I could come in as somebody unbiased and not aligned with either side. So in my first conversation with almost everybody when I got to Sprint, they told me whether they were legacy Sprint or legacy Nextel. It had been almost three years since the merger, but they still identified with the company they came from, not the company they worked for then. So they were actually accepting to have me in as a um, as somebody not aligned with either side. Well, after the break, I want to come back and explore more about your experience at Sprint and the turnaround. Uh, we're with former Sprint CEO Dan Hesse, who is considered one of the best five turnaround CEOs of all time. If you have any questions or feedback, call anytime at 844-810-8255. That is 844-810-TALK. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org. Oathbook.org. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Are you a small to mid-sized business looking for a tax, accounting, or CFO-level advisor to handle or guide your company's financial decisions? Consider KMLPC. KMLPC excels in creating easy-to-use, customized financial systems for small to mid-sized entrepreneurs and companies, especially nonprofits. KMLPC supports and protects their clients' vital interests, offering a wide range of accounting and bookkeeping services in addition to CFO guidance. They prioritize digital integration and their exceptional staff will make your life and even taxes so much easier. Their client list is a who's who of nonprofits and entrepreneurs, clients who've stayed with them for years and won't go anywhere else. So if you need financial or tax help for your business or nonprofit, contact KMLPC today at KML-PC.com. That's KML-PC.com. KML-PC.com and mention The Mentors. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and today we are talking to former Sprint CEO Dan Hesse, who as CEO of Sprint was named one of the 10 inspirational turnaround leaders of all time. Dan, when we left, you were talking about your arrival at Sprint and the fact that you had two groups of people the Nextel group and the Sprint group. How did you weave them together? Well, I um, my very first all-employee meeting, you know, I'm standing in front of a, a you know a, a large audience in an auditorium, and the rest of the country, all the employees are watching 
on on video monitors, uh, and I talked about this issue, about and they were kind of laughing and smiling how everybody in the first three sentences was telling me whether they came from Sprint or Nextel, and I told them I said we're going to come up with one culture. Uh, he said I told them that Nextel had a, a wonderful culture, and I described all Next, Nextel. Um, had achieved is this fantastic entrepreneurial company and Sprint PCS, the other company. What a great culture it had! It is, was the fastest company in history from zero to one billion dollars in revenue. Uh, but we were going to be one culture, and what I was going to do is take what I considered to be some of those attributes of the Nextel culture, some of the best attributes of the Sprint culture, some other attributes I had seen from the best companies I had either been a part of or had witnessed. And I was going to send a survey out to every employee. I wanted them to vote on which qualities they wanted to be um, the makeup, if you will, wanted to be our culture, to make up the culture of the company they wanted to work for and they felt was going to be successful. So I engaged everyone in, in basically coming out with a white sheet of paper, uh, taking the best qualities that, that from the companies that, that they had come from, plus others, and we're going to create one culture of this new company, Sprint, Pretty much everybody participated. I also told them, though, I'm not going to just pick the 10 attributes that get the highest votes, get the n- n- most number of votes. Culture, that's my decision as the CEO. I'm the one accountable, uh, but I want your input, and this is the way we're going to run the company. There's going to be a decision maker because we're going to move. You know, It's not always going to be a democracy, but I very much want everybody's input. We came out with one culture. Everybody got these cards with the 10 elements that were the um, uh, – these are the things, cultural imperatives, we, we called them. And actually, at my going-away party, the room was filled with a big poster of every one of these ten because people remembered that as you know one element, if you will, of my legacy was creating this culture of the new company. And it was how we got things done. And it was really the glue um, as well as, if you will, the lubricant to the company of how we moved quickly. And did you have to go through any kind of a... Uh reduction in force as you were going through the turnaround? I did, and I was very straightforward, and they knew they knew it as well. So when I, when I got there, I looked at the books in the business plan, and depending upon which set of assumptions one used, the company was going to go bankrupt in four to six months. And um, so I was straightforward, and this gets at communication. Communication with your people and employees has to be honest and straightforward. Um, bad news, they can take it, good news, but just give it to them straight. And I let them know we would, we were going to have to cut expenses substantially. And it meant people. Um, but we did it in the best way we could. We did it openly. Um, and that was, uh, you know, it was unfortunate, but it's something that, uh, that, that we had to do. Uh, but we made it, you know, we made it through that. And what's interesting is, is even with all of the, the force reductions, Employee morale went up and went up steadily, and um, you know, years later, we were being used as a model, our company, because of the morale scores that uh, that, that we had achieved. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio today. We have Dan Hesse, the former CEO of Sprint, as our guest mentor. So you come and you've I. I I understand all of the complexities. How did you go about building your team? Did you bring some people from the outside? Did you just stay with people that are on the inside and move them up? How did you go about creating your team? Um, Roughly the new team was made up of one-third people from the senior team that was there when I got there, one-third people I brought in from the outside, and roughly one-third, which were that layer below that I created an opportunity for promotion. Because that was also one of the issues at, uh, at the company at the time, was you had a number of really talented um, you know, folks that were ready to move up into the senior ranks that had been kind of held up from, from moving up because of the merger and the number of people that were already there in those two companies combined, uh, that you know, they were being blocked. So if you will, it was roughly... You know, a third of the existing management, one-third people from the outside that I knew were just terrific from my own, you know, many years in the industry, you know, over 30 years at the time, and then about a third were promoted up. When you look back on this, is there anything you would do differently? Um, you know, given what I knew at the time, no. Um, 
you always, you know, you, you, you learn things later uh, that, you know, that you might, you might do differently in 2020 hindsight, but that's just not the way I, I think. I don't, I don't second guess what I did. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, we, largely we made the right decisions in that the priorities of the company, um, what was on the agenda, what we, how we paid people, our objectives, actually the, the not only the culture, the 10 elements of the culture, but the three standards of our strategy never changed. Seven years later, they were exactly the same. I think a company needs, if you will, stability. Probably the, um, the worst thing a leader can be is mercurial. Uh, they have to be steady, and uh, and we and we stayed the course, and that's why I think we made so much progress. So we focused number one on the customer, and we moved from last to first. You know, you mentioned JD Power. We moved from last to first in JD Power. We moved from last to first in the American Customer Satisfaction Index in our industry. As a matter of fact, we were the most improved U.S. company in overall cost customer satisfaction of any U.S. company in all 43 industries. They studied. And that became reflected in our in our stock price. So generally, I um, even though there's some things that uh, that we could have done better, no question. I think um, uh, given what we knew at the time, we made most of the right calls. Well, this was a pressure-packed situation. Did you have any people outside the company that were mentors for you? Um, yes. During um, well, you know, I've had so many mentors through my career, and and people who had been mentors uh, during my career earlier were people I called, uh, as well as other CEOs that um, were peers that I that I met through. They could have been suppliers or partners or possibly be in other industries because it gets, it gets a little lonely at the top. And what I have found very valuable is calling another CEO who's sitting in the same chair and telling them what my issues are and getting their feedback. And I do the same for others. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about your mentors. We're talking with Dan Hesse, and we're reliving his journey on becoming the most influential person in mobile technology. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org, oathbook.org. It's Karen, executive producer of The Mentors Radio, and we're thrilled to have My Pillow back as a sponsor. All of us here are huge fans of Mike Lindell's products. When I got fed up with the chemical smell of other pillows, I figured my pillows made in the U.S. I'll give them a try. That was years ago. Now I own six pillows. I use their cotton towels, their 100% Giza cotton bed sheets, and I give them away as Christmas gifts. Every product has exceptional quality and attention to detail. Towels are thick, absorbent. Sheets are soft, smooth, high thread count. Our radio host, Tom, and everyone we know who's tried these products has the same experience. Use our code MENTORS to get a 60-day money-back guarantee and up to 60% discount. Go to MyPillow.com forward slash mentors. You must include the code MENTORS. That's MyPillow.com forward slash mentors or click the banner on our website. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loy, and today we're talking with Dan Hesse, former Sprint CEO who led Sprint from the edge of bankruptcy. And we're talking about his journey. Dan, 
How did you get Sprint turned around so quickly? And from what you've learned, what would you tell others who are living through the challenges of a turnaround? Well, I think um, a few things. You need to get, especially a big company, all the oars pulling in the same direction. So you have to set out the plan, the strategy, the priorities, the what you're going to do very quickly. So we established the customer experience, number one, the brand, number two, and cash, which is just you know expenses and money, number three. And there was more granularity that went into that. But what really gets it moving quickly is you um, support that with really two big levers, which are compensation and agenda. People do what they're paid to do, and they do what, um, if you will, the boss checks on and what you spend time on. So we said, you know, the customer experience is number one. So everybody in the employee, every employee in the company, from me to my direct reports, down to the mailroom, didn't matter what function you were in, accounting, finance, sales, um, marketing, administration, we were all paid on the number of calls to customer care, getting those down, and how many customers were leaving. So we were paid and all paid the same, our, our variable pay. We were all either at 85% or 120%, and I would review this at all my monthly meetings with the employees. And number two, uh, the agenda, the customer experience was the first thing on every single agenda. And if we didn't get to any other topics, we didn't get to anything else. But what happens is when I set that as my agenda, that ends up being the first thing at the level down because they're getting their boss ready for the questions I'm going to ask, if you will, at our meeting and all the way down through the company. So that became the number one thing on pretty much every agenda. And as a result, we had this very quick improvement and moving movement in the customer experience and, and customer service because people were paid on it and it was on the agenda. I would say um, um, the, uh, the other things, not, not only with what, it's how you're going to do it, which is setting the culture, and then who. And on the who, in terms of advice, if I was giving, um, giving advice on, on how to do it, really focus on who your team is. Because a lot of times, what I, what I came in and saw, and a lot of times you see this, is a number of people want to leave. They're tired. They're stressed out. You know, you ask the question, are you ready for a two- or three-year battle and war to turn this baby around. It's going to be long days and weekends. Um, so you want to make sure you have people with the energy and desire. And there were a lot of very good people that said, you know, Dan, I'm just not up for it. I just don't want to do it. And we shook hands, hugged. We're still friends. They left and I brought somebody new in. Um, and, uh, uh, the other is humor. It's a very, you know, when you're going through a turnaround and you're looking bankruptcy, you know, in the face and you're getting a lot of criticism and concern from shareholders, you're having to lay off employees, which is brutal. I mean, that's one reason people don't want to stay around, especially in leadership positions. It means they're going to have to lay off 20 or 30 or 40 percent of their of their team and they don't want to do it. and They're not up for it. That's extremely difficult. Um, but humor, um, even if it's gallows humor. Uh, people just need, you know, need to have some fun. So uh, uh, those would be my recommendations. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to The Mentors Radio. Today we have Dan Hesse, the former CEO of Sprint, as our guest mentor. Earlier you were talking about outside mentors that you uh, had uh, along the way and the CEOs that you called on. What was the best advice you ever received during this period from somebody outside the company? One was just, uh, you know, be yourself, uh, be authentic, uh, be who you are, and never, you know, and 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 never, you know, never forget that. Um, uh, most of the advice, though, what, what really was valuable to me was uh, was just general, um, just support. Uh, you know, hang in there. You will get through this. Uh, just somebody to talk to, uh, almost uh, you know, almost uh, cathartic. Um, but um, and uh, and the other was just talking with the other person at the other end, and and I talked about the importance of being calm and steady. That a couple people not only reinforced that, but I had seen that in them, and that came through in their voice. 
which was um, this, your need as leader, and I, and I heard it from a couple people, you as leader um, always have to be that rock. Uh, you, uh, you, you can't show fear, show optimism. Um, and actually, in that regard, I'd say the best advice I really got was watching again, and I, I was so moved by it. Um, there's a DVD that of a show that PBS did called The Endurance. It's about Sir Ernest Shackleton and his voyage to the South Pole. And you talk about a crisis. I mean, this was life or death, true life or death. There is no reason anybody should have survived that. And all 27 men on that failed expedition to the South Pole, Pole returned home safe. And what I did is I watched that about how Shackleton, which I think might be the best single study in leadership, period, bar none, what he did, how he led at the time all men, how he led them back and got them back safely, his combination of, of integrity, caring, vision, um, innovation, uh, optimism. You know, when everything looked bleak, he always was optimistic. As a matter of fact, I was so moved by it. I went and bought a hundred copies of it and sent one to each of my top hundred people at Sprint and said, watch this. This is the way we're going to turn this ship around. This is how we're, this is the way we are going to lead. And uh, that was the best single example that I, uh, that I got was from somebody unfortunately deceased. So you were not in a ship in the South pole, but you were in Kansas and had to go home every night. What toll, did this take on your family, and how did you recharge your batteries? It's interesting to hear my wife tell stories now about it. She um, she worried about me uh, because you know I would come back, you know I would come home. She said and 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 be fine and be strong, but she could see that I had no color. She goes, "You just were white. You had no color in your face." Uh, and she asked me a couple of times um, what was going on. So I, so I told her, and it was bad enough. She just, I, and I saw her reaction. I said, I'm, never gonna, I'm not going to tell her again um, what, you know, what the situation is. I will say that you know, in the first 90 days, what was difficult for me and my family is, is I took the job right before Christmas. And the only two days that I didn't work a full day, including the weekends, in my first 90 days were Christmas Day and New Year's Day. And that was it. So it was, it was you know, very tough during that period of time. But... What I uh, endeavored to do is after that initial crisis period to make it up. And I would include my family and especially my two young boys in a lot of the things I did in the business. Took them with trips, on trips with me in ways that I thought would help and develop them and help me create a bond with them given the number of hours that I was spending working. And of course I gave up everything else outside of work. All, you know, every fun, every fun thing from you know, from sports to uh, to listening to music, I focused completely on the business uh, and on my, my family. We need to cut to our final break. When we return, we'll continue our discussion with Dan Hesse, former CEO of Sprint, and his journey from the edge of the abyss. Hi, I'm the executive producer of The Mentors Radio Show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I want to tell you about something special. If you're an entrepreneur like me, you need steady energy and focus. Here's my secret. I rely on science-backed, high-quality, bulletproof collagen protein and other bulletproof products. My sister told me about it. At feelgreat.vip, you can learn the health journey of bulletproof founder Dave Asprey. Find out what sets these products apart from the rest. Nothing can replace the advice of your medical doctor, but good nutrition can absolutely enhance your mood, energy, and focus like it did for me. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than 1 million fans, 1 million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. Feelgreat.vip to learn more. It's Karen, executive producer of The Mentors Radio, and we're thrilled to have My Pillow back as a sponsor. 
All of us here are huge fans of Mike Lindell's products. When I got fed up with the chemical smell of other pillows, I figured my pillow's made in the U.S. I'll give them a try. That was years ago. Now I own six pillows. I use their cotton towels, their 100% Giza cotton bed sheets, and I give them away as Christmas gifts. Every product has exceptional quality and attention to detail. Towels are thick, absorbent. Sheets are soft, smooth, high thread count. Our radio host, Tom, and everyone we know who's tried these products has the same experience. Use our code MENTORS to get a 60-day money-back guarantee and up to 60% discount. Go to MyPillow.com forward slash mentors. You must include the code MENTORS. That's MyPillow.com forward slash mentors or click the banner on our website. Are you a small to mid-sized business looking for a tax, accounting, or CFO level advisor to handle or guide your company's financial decisions? Consider KMLPC. KMLPC excels in creating easy-to-use, customized financial systems for small to mid-sized entrepreneurs and companies, especially non Profits. KMLPC supports and protects their clients' vital interests, offering a wide range of accounting and bookkeeping services in addition to CFO guidance. They prioritize digital integration and their exceptional staff will make your life and even taxes so much easier. Their client list is a who's who of nonprofits and entrepreneurs, clients who've stayed with them for years and won't go anywhere else. So if you need financial or tax help for your business or nonprofit, contact KMLPC today at kml-pc.com. That's kml-pc.com. kml-pc.com. And mention the mentors. And now, back to the mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and today we are talking to former Sprint CEO Dan Hesse, who as CEO of Sprint was named one of the top inspirational leaders for a turnaround. Uh, Dan, the story has certainly been inspirational and uh, provided a lot of information for everybody to chew on. I've got a couple of questions for this last segment. Number one, what would you say to those people who do not believe they can write their own life script? I I would say that you need to believe that you can. If you don't believe you can, I don't think you can. But uh, what I have found is that those who are committed to writing their life script and believe that they can do it, somehow uh, achieve it. Um, and But it's important to seek the help from others. Uh, don't think you can do everything yourself. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, don't be afraid to ask for advice. Uh, don't be uh, afraid to um, to look at the career of of others and how others have done it, and um, and and to study that. Uh, so I th- I think the people that uh, you know, there's a lot to be said for self reliance, but I think the the people that have some talent times not achieved that that I have seen either don't have the confidence that they can do it, or number two, they have too much confidence and they believe they can do it completely themselves. And the right answer is somewhere in between. And what are some of the dumb things you've seen people do that have ruined their careers? The things that I have seen people do um, that I think were mistakes in their career are when they they don't have a long-term North Star in terms of what they are thinking of achieving in their, you know, ultimately in their life, and they are they're, they're making decisions on just the next job. So they'll take the next job because of the title or because of the pay, uh, and it ends up being a mistake or a dead end or something they're not happy in, and that um, and that often derails their career because they won't be successful in that job. Because the most important thing to be long term is continuously do well in everything you do. The second is they'll take a job without doing due diligence on who their boss is, and it's very difficult to do well or to be happy if you don't have a good leader or boss. And whether you're changing companies or moving within within your own company, do real due diligence on who your boss is going to be. And where are you spending your time today? Well, I'm on uh, 
two company boards and a number of nonprofit boards um, like Just Capital. Tell us a little bit about Just Capital. Uh, well, Just Capital is a is a nonprofit, and uh, it's a nonprofit that, like me, uh, very much believes in capitalism as the uh, the best economic system that's uh, that's ever been tried, but also sees capitalism as something that needs improvement. Uh, and getting back even to an earlier conversation, you know, Tom, you and I had about how companies used to invest more in the long term, more in the development of their people. I think what has happened. In the, in the past uh, decade or two is that because of Delaware law, uh, because of activists and a lot of other reasons, companies have become very short-term and focused on only one's constituency, the shareholders, often at the expense of, of other constituencies like your customers, your employees, uh, your communities, um, the planet and the environment. And so I, I just capital is focusing on how to make capitalism a very effective economic well, that sounds like a, that, for all constituents. That, sound, that sounds like a great topic. We're going to bring you back and talk about that. But we're out of time. Dan, thank you for being with us and sharing your hard-earned insights. Remember, if you tuned in late, you can listen to this and past shows by going to our website, www.thementorsradio.com www.thementorsradio.com When you are there, subscribe to future shows and listen to the podcast of this show. Thank you for listening. We will be back next weekend at this time for the next edition of The Mentors. On behalf of Rick Brutico and myself, Tom Laurie, be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.